And I'll be reading to you today from Psalm 46 in the ESV version. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the only habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I've been reading a book uh, on the treadmill recently. That's where I do my theological reading. Uh, I can't go anywhere, right? I can't escape. Uh, so I've been reading a book titled Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Uh, it is by a Duke University professor named Kate Bowler. And what she's doing in this book is she's documenting uh, her experience with terminal cancer. And the way that people responded to her during this tragedy. And she really talks about the way we all respond to tragedy. Uh, and she says uh, that there was really uh, three kinds of responses that she would get. You could categorize them all three, actually four different ways, right? So the first one was the minimizers. Uh, she had about two months to live. And she would get these people would say, you know, well, that's really kind of insignificant because it's really not the end. So those were the minimizers. Then there was the teachers. You know, this is supposed to be an education or a test of faith. In my long life, I've learned. Or the third group was the solutions group. You know, people were disappointed in her because she didn't have a good attitude and she wasn't going to, like, save herself through her good attitude. And she's actually a specialist. She's a historian, but a specialist also in the prosperity gospel, which... Paul will call in Galatians, which is another gospel and not really a gospel, okay? That is not the gospel. But this fourth group of people with the prosperity types who would say, hey, you just need God's favor. If you do good things, then you deserve to get better, okay? Now, all of it always ended, though, with it's all going to be fine. Well, it wasn't going to be fine. She had terminal cancer, right? None of the answers that she received could bear uh, the grief uh, could bear the grief she was feeling. They were they were a refuge. They they can't be a refuge when they, when things get dark like that. When you get into that space in your life, when you've lost somebody, for example, or like for Tracy and I, our kid was in a coma on a ventilator. You know, uh, and even pastors, you know, uh, we we love each other. You know, we get ourselves a meal. We get meal trains going. We pray with you. We'll sit with you. 
But, you know, when my dad died, I knew, I knew there really weren't any special magical words that could have been said about it. But, you know, being part of the pastor club, I know some guys, right? So I gave it a try. And it really just confirmed that it really was, I was on my own, essentially, except for God and myself. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, okay? So this morning, we're going to look at this psalm, uh, God our Fortress, right? It's three facets of the fortress that is our God. And it's this very famous psalm, right? You guys all know that one famous verse in there, Be still and know that I am God. And, you know, if you don't memorize Bible or Scripture, you can't. Like, you know that verse, you've memorized Scripture. You get credit for that this morning, okay? So there's three facets about the fortress that God is that we're going to talk about this morning, okay? First, we're going to talk about refuge. Then we're going to talk about strength. And then we're going to talk about stillness. So refuge, strength, and stillness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we welcome you into our midst today. Holy Spirit, you are among us, Lord. Lord, we welcome you here. We want you to fill this atmosphere. We want you to open our eyes and our hearts and our ears, Lord, so we would see, hear, and understand your word, the refuge that you are, God, in ways we never have before. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, God is our refuge. Let's start in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, refuge, right? That is a place we find safety. Uh, we can go to a bomb shelter. We can go to a, we have a bank account. That's our refuge. Uh, a close friend could be our refuge. We could have a special confidant. Uh, but a refuge is a place that we can count on or a place we can run to when it's all breaking bad. So when the mountains that we've built our life about, when they start breaking off and falling into the sea, right? All the things that are our refuge start to crumble right before our eyes, right? They're giving way, they're sliding into the sea. Your 401k crashes. You lose your job where all your identity was wrapped up into. Maybe your marriage is crumbling. You've put all that pressure on your spouse to be it. And your marriage is falling apart. And it's shaking and crumbling and things aren't going your way. And the enemies are at the gates. You remember uh, King Ahaz from a few weeks ago, uh, where would he find his refuge? Would he find it in Emmanuel, God with us? Or would he find it in the Assyrians in politics? Which would it be? But, you know, mostly we think of refuges kind of like as an everyday kind of thing, right? So they're little refuges, though, right? So if I need new brakes or tires, I've got that extra paycheck, that'll cover that expense. Or... If I have to go back to the office full-time, I can have my folks help me out, right? They can watch the kids a little bit. Uh, Maybe a spa day, you know, to reset, or a little shopping, or a a Netflix binge or something like that. But what happens is the farther we get from shore, you know, the deeper the problems that we're facing and the more serious they are, the more those little refuges begin to look like sandcastles when the rip current grabs us. We start to get into the deep water, Cancer, chronic pain, having your kid on that ventilator. Those little refuges don't start to hold up anymore. They're not holding up any longer. And you know, it's not anybody's fault, okay? I mean, the people who are trying to help, those examples that I gave, they're all good-hearted people. They're all meaning well, right? And we want input from the people who love us, right? But there's really only one place, there's really only one refuge that's going to be deep enough And, you know, it may involve beating your fists against God's 
chest. It may involve you getting your tears all over his perfect white robe or putting your head in his lap. And you know, we have a God that can take that. He wants us to know that he can take that from us, all right? He gave us the Psalms specifically to show us that we can be real with him in prayer. Don't you think that he knows that you are terrified or afraid or mad or disappointed? And, you know, some of those things we feel like they're sinful feelings, right? So we don't release them to God. We don't pray them to God, right? But God knows it. You can't hide out from God. So you might as well let it all hang out. He gives you the Psalms. You look at the way David prays, just go for it. He gets you. You know, and maybe you're waiting for the answer here this morning, right? The reason that everything happens for a reason. You're not going to get it, okay? I'm going to tell you why later, but what I will tell you this, okay, is the world is a broken, sinful place through no fault of God's. Humanity did not choose to follow God. It was not God's fault. Humanity chose themselves. And the result of that is death and sickness and suffering. And that is the norm, and it happens to every human being. And here's the good news, though, okay? And we know this as Christians. But God, through Jesus, is already working, right? He's already working to redeem it. Aslan is on the move. And God will take this broken world, and with the gospel, and what, with what Jesus has done, he redeems these small parts of it now, and in the end, he's going to redeem all of it. All of it. And there's going to be no more death and suffering, or sin, that sin that started that whole cascade failure of brokenness. But I will tell you, okay, just be careful when you're trying to noodle it all through and figure it out, okay? Because verse 10 says this, it says, know that I am God. Now that's an awesome statement. That is not a nod to God. Oh, I know you're God, it's cool, right? Encapsulated to know that I'm God is all the wonder of creation and human history and the plan of redemption all wrapped up together. So what is going on there is not some head nod, okay? But, what, but because he is God, okay, he is infinite and unknowable. Part, apart from what he has shown us through his word and through his son, and what he's done through the gospel. You can know God, those aspects of God, okay? But we can't know it all. That's why it's so important to be in the word of Scripture. If you don't read Scripture, if you're not in Scripture all the time, you're not going to be able to know God. That is God's information for us. That is, if Jesus is the word, right? That's knowing God. So the warning is there's always more knowing that he is God, <laughs> to be had in your entire life. You're always going to have to be knowing that he is God more. There's always going to be galaxy-sized gaps in our knowledge because God is infinitely above comprehension. And we don't know why things happen. And what happens is we start to get a little mad. We start to get a little angry. We start to get indignant. But think about it. When you do that, you're thinking that you should have the intellectual bandwidth to know how God is operating over all of time and space and history to fix mankind's sin. That's what you're implying when you get mad at God, that you should know that. Or we get mad, right? Why would God do this? He didn't do it, by the way. Okay, he did not do it. Humanity did it. Humanity did it when they decided to go their own way. Starting in Genesis chapter 3, there's only two chapters in the whole Bible where humans aren't sinful. 
You know, maybe we say, you know, I just don't believe with that aspect of Scripture, or uh, I don't agree with what God says because I just can't understand. I don't know why he would do it that way, so I just don't agree with that. Or that's so mean. Why would God do that? You know, in the whirlwind of humanity's sin that we are reaping today, as it says in Job 11, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? So we think so, and then here's what happens from Romans 9.33. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The extent of our disbelief, to the extent of our disbelief, just like Israel, we stumble right past the cave entrance to the refuge. We stumble right past it. You know, and more and more things take us into the deep nowadays, don't they? I was watching this interview of a trauma expert after one of these big California wildfires or an earthquake or something, and he was talking about why there's so much trauma nowadays as compared to the past, right? And I have to give the guy a tip of the hat. He says, you know, hey, our ancestors believed that they were small in the universe and that God was big. The universe was big, right? And they knew God and they prayed to God and they lived for a while and they died. They went to heaven. And here's what he said then. He goes, but for us, this life is all we have. When something big comes along, we feel powerless and helpless and it causes this massive PTS. But if you can see the refuge that God offers, Christians can have this particular and deep confidence that's not explainable. It's otherworldly. One that is altogether beyond the confidence of what normal people walking around experience. Now, my grandma, Mamey, she was pregnant with my dad uh, when she got news that my grandfather, her husband, had his P-51 Mustang shot off underneath him on a mission in World War II. So she had no idea if he was dead or alive, right? She's pregnant with their first child, uh, and she didn't hear for months. And he ended up spending the rest of the days of the war in a German POW camp that wasn't like summer camp, okay? She never knew if he was gonna, she was going to see him again. Even getting liberated from the camp, 30% of the guys died. And then what happened in the rest of her life? Her husband dies, her son dies, her grandson dies, all before her. She lived to be 99. And she, the sweet woman had her refuge in Jesus. She used to always say, my Jesus, my Jesus, Blake. His love for her never failed. You know, and when our, and I talk about this a lot, I'm sorry, but when our three-year-old child maxed out on the Rancho Coma scale, and you know, let me just be sensitive here. This, what happened to Tracy and I and the experience I'm going to tell you about doesn't happen to everybody. It's different for everybody. My, our experience is not the experience, okay? But when that happened to us, you know, God in his grace dropped a kind of cone of silence around us. It was a cone of grace. And it, put, it gave Tracy and I this supernatural calm that allowed us to minister to our boy in that situation and minister to each other and to the people involved in it, right? And people were always like, I can't believe how you guys are handling this. And I was like, I can't believe it either. I didn't know what was going on. To this day, I can't explain how calm, the calmness that Tracy and I had. We were ready for any, anything from zero to 100. But, you know, Mamey or Tracy or myself or anybody else, you know, I want you to know it's not about whether you're a good or bad person. Your outcome is not about if you're a good or bad person. I want you to know that, Okay. 
Or whether you have the famous prosperity term favor. Okay? That's not what it's about. You are not being punished. Now, there are some sins that, you know, have really bad consequences right away, okay? I'm not talking about that, but you are generally not being punished. You know, our, our own church actually backed away from us during that time. They were not a prosperity gospel church, okay? But they still had it in their subconscious that there must be some hidden sin in Blake and Tracy's life that caused this to happen. How do you think that made us feel? Look, it's just a fallen world. I can't explain it. Tragedy is not a test of your character, though. I want you to know that. It's not a test to be passed or failed, and you're not being punished. And you know, yes, you know, we do have this idea, this concept now, because we know so much, and science has gone so far, and we have technology and resources, but we think that we can control everything now. And when we can't, the trauma hits, right? So like COVID, right? None of our great ideas is going to stop Mother Nature from doing what she does. It's not going to happen. Ripping right through the population despite all of our science and knowledge and medical technology and all that, right? So two years ago, we knew a lot less back then, but the common cold could have been it. COVID, the common cold virus, could have wiped us all out. And it goes back to that decision in the garden back in Genesis chapter 3. Because now we are our own masters. When they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, were, they ate for, the, for the, the sin of deciding what is good and evil for themselves. And they became their own masters. And now we've become our own masters. We're addicted to self-rule. So what happens is whenever tragedy strikes, because we are our own masters, we think we can fix it. And then we get traumatized when we can't. We think we have God-like powers. So here, here's the series of questions we start to ask. Well, whose fault is it? Well, who's the other political party? There's got to be a way to pin that on them, right? What government program failed? What law do we have to write to fix this? And we're pretending we're in this finite, controllable universe, and the world just slaps us aside like a, a fly, and we freak out. So this fortress, though, God, our fortress, the refuge that is God, how do I get in? I want to be in the refuge, okay? How do I get the cone of grace? How do I experience my Jesus? First of all, I want to tell you this. If you are here and you're not a Christian, the only way you can have access to that space, the only way you can have refuge is to admit that you need a refuge. First of all, from your own sin, from the idea that you know right from wrong. And that you've actually pulled it off. You haven't pulled it off. That separates you from God. Now, Christians, you know, we're kind of recovering still, though, all right? Because we still, we know intellectually that we can't know and control everything. But, you know, a lot of times we think we can. We think we have the attributes of God, and we act as our own master and commander still. We're still kind of uh, subverting by determining our own path as if we're our own God, and it keeps us from God and his refuge. You can be a Christian and keep yourself out of the refuge. And, you know, if you are a Christian, I haven't told you how to get it yet, have I? You know, we've accessed it. We know it's there, and we're standing in the mouth of the cave. So how do we nestle in deep where it's safe, okay? Here's, here's a hint, though. We've got to get over ourselves. 
No, really, we do. We have got to get over ourselves. We've got to get over this idea that we are strong. Okay? We have to get over the idea of our own strength. Because in order to get into the refuge, to get deep into it, we've got to resolve that God is our, is our strength. So God is our refuge, and God is our strength. So when the roaring waters come and your little kayak is in the rapids, right? Can you paddle yourself out? Not when the mountains move and the heart of the sea roars. I love that verse. I love the imagery there. The mountains, the earth, the things we build all of our life on, right? And then in the Bible, the sea always is kind of a metaphor for the mass of humanity, right? So when all of our ways fail and they break off the side of the mountain like a glacier falling into the sea, and the sea is royal beneath it, the people are royal. When it's falling apart, when your ideas and your plans and your exit strategies are falling apart, you get royaled. And you may paddle hard for a little while, right? But I will tell you that there's a 100% chance that you're going to go under. Because you'll never prepare enough. You'll never save enough. You'll never plan enough. You're never going to buy enough survival food in those discreet, unmarked boxes so your neighbors don't think you're nuts, okay? You're never going to buy any, you're never going to buy enough insurance because only God is our assurance. It's His strength, not yours. And it's a totally different strength than you've ever known. It's totally different, okay? I'm gonna, I want to talk a little bit right now about gospel dynamics. Zach got us kicked off telling us about the reversal, right? But listen, the way the gospel works is almost opposite to every way the world works. Listen to this, okay? Jesus dies on the cross for you, right? So your salvation is free. It's earned by Jesus. Now, every single other aspect of your existence is about us earning it. (laughs) Really, it is. And that's just one gospel opposite, okay? But the gospel is like a multiverse version of the world, okay? It's an alternate reality where the polarity of magnets and the flow of electrons gets reversed. But if you really think about it, this sinful world we live in, we're the multiverse because God created the world to work in a certain way and sin has short-circuited it. So if you take strength, let's take the principle of strength in the gospel universe, right? The gospel verse, okay? So strength in our world has properties and values in the way that it works. But here's how it works in the gospel verse. It's totally reversed. It's rewired. It's flipped. And it's modeled all throughout scripture, okay? Here's a few examples, okay? Samuel picks the weakest of Jesse's sons in David, right? Now, he wasn't some 14-year-old, you know, bird-chested weakling, okay? We know that he killed a lion, but he was the weakest guy in Jesse's stable, okay? But he still defeats Goliath, so there's no denying it's the small versus the weak, right? Or the, the small, the, the weak versus the strong. He defeats Goliath. So God uh, goes to Gideon. He goes to the weakest tribe, the weakest half-tribe in Israel, not even a full tribe, and he grabs the weakest guy in that tribe, Gideon, and he says, you're going to fight my war for me. So as they're gathering their armies, God says, you know what? I want you to send home all your really skilled guys. You get some Navy SEALs there. You've got some Rangers. Send them home, okay? And then he faces the enemy, and he wins. Weakness defeats strength. But big, strong Samson, remember him, right? All those great things that he did, big, strong guy. We always think of the strength of Samson, right? But he only really finally defeats the Philistines when he's chained and blinded and totally weak. 
That's the only time he has complete victory is when he's blinded, weak, and chained. Talk about flipping the polarity. That's God's kind of strength. David is God's kind of strength. Gideon is God's kind of strength. Samson is God's kind of strength. And listen to this. There's a lot more examples, but listen to the culmination of strength in the gospel verse. Jesus wins, not by overthrowing the Romans with a military force or having a special election, but by being beaten and kicked and spit on and tortured to death. That's gospel strength. That's strength and weakness. God's strength is a strength and weakness. And we also enter the refuge of God, not through our own strength, not uh, with our stick to right, and can-do attitude, okay? The way we enter the strength of God, the way we enter the depths of the refuge is through weakness, it's through repentance, it's through saying we're sorry to God, okay? You repented once when you came to Christ, When's the last time you confessed your sin? It says in 1 John, he's talking to believers, if you say there's no sin in your life, there is no truth in you. When's the last time you access that by confessing to God? There's a new birth. There's becoming like a helpless little child, like in Matthew 18. Because only when you admit that you're weak do you get the strength of God. If you guys remember the first time that Jesus taught in Cornerstone, In his ministry, he preached for the first time in his synagogue. He used some lines from Isaiah 61.1, and you can check this out later. But he said, you know, it was good news for the poor, the brokenhearted, to the captives, to the prisoners, to the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the poor, the oppressed. You know what? All those people have a head start on us. Want to know why? They understand weakness. Because they are weak. Because they are actually weak, right? Richard Sibbs wrote in this famous old book called The Bruised Reed that just as a mother is tender to the weakest child, so does Christ mercifully incline to the weakest. Christ is always looking for the weakest among us and running towards him or her. And you know, that sounds great, but it's not really great news for Northern Virginia. Want to know why? Because we are born and bred and raised to rely on our own strength. We have the money. We have the power. We have the success. And we made all of that our little refuges. So you got this girl. Look, I, look at all I've done. You know, Look at all I've accomplished and gained. If I could just get this last kid launched to a D1 school, right? Uh, if I could just make it to 50 in this job, I'll be ready for early retirement. I need to get my life done. That is not gospel power. That is us power. No, gospel power is not very attractive to us. It's not. It's not attractive to religious people either. One of the Pharisees said to another, he says, you see they're gaining nothing. It wasn't attractive to them. What Jesus was doing was not attractive to the religious people. In order to gain everything, it's got to look like you're gaining nothing. In order to gain everything, it's got to look like you're losing If you were in the whirlwind and you're duking it out, right? And you were standing strong and fighting it out. And by golly, you're going to overcome this. That is not the place where God is going to come in and rescue you. Want to know why? Because you don't need rescue. But 
when you are at the end of your wits, when the mountains are falling and the seas are roaring and you're emptied of your own ideas and your own strength and you have nowhere else to turn and your broken three-year-old boy's body is in the NICU, right? And when you finally get to the end of yourself, that's where the strength comes in. I've told you the when, now I'm going to tell you the how. It's our last facet of the fortress this morning in the stillness. Be still and know that I am God. And here's how you know that you can be still and that it will matter. If you look at the very tippy top of the psalm, up by the title, it says, it was written by the sons of Korah. That name sounds familiar, it should be, because Korah and his followers were the ones that challenged Moses in the wilderness. They challenged his authority, and they got swallowed up by the earth when it split open underneath them. You can check it out for yourself in Numbers chapter 16. But the descendants of Korah wrote 11 psalms. Their families were wiped out around them, and they wrote 11 psalms. Survivors had watched as something very similar to what we're talking about today happened to them. The earth moved, and everybody they loved was gone. And here they are. They're writing about it. They're singing. You know, how do I get there? How do I sing about that? How do I get to stillness? First of all, and I said first before, you've got to be a believer, okay? God must be your God. And you've got to know that he is God. It's not the head nod, God, okay? It's going to get all the way down and into your core and your heart and your subconsciousness. And it's going to take a lifetime to do it. You know, a lot of Christians are head nod only. We see back in Numbers, the children of Korah died not. Why didn't they die? What did they do? Did they give better sacrifices? Did they show up at church extra? Did they sign up for salt and light? Sign up for salt and light, by the way. Why did, they, why did it go down like that? It's only by the grace of God, and they knew it. Only by the grace, they knew it. The only reason they stood there when everybody else went down was grace. And the truth is that we are all sons of Korah, every one of us. Now here we stand also in the assembly. We've challenged God, and you've challenged him as a believer. You challenge him every day with your choices, with passing on his refuge while insisting that your little refuge is enough. And we too should be swallowed up. We should be. Right now, we should be. But we're not. You know, as as you mature in Christ, as you not only know him, but as you know, know him, if you, when you know that he is God more and more, it's going to start to show where your refuges are. But the message of the gospel will only make sense to people who have run out of refuges. When you've lost your last refuge, that's when you're going to understand the gospel. And you come to the, re- the relieving realization. It's a relief. It's not your strength that's going to pull it off. It's a relief to admit you're not strong. Admit it. And it doesn't have to be a tragedy to apply that. You can apply that to any situation you're having in your life, any difficulty. God is a refuge for you. But, you know, let's say you've been a Christian for a little while, right? And you're still buffeted by the earth and the sea moving, right? It's, it's going to take more than your baptismal certificate or your covenant letter, okay? 
going to take more than just coming to church once in a while. It's going to take a connection with God. It's going to take a deep connect, a deep relationship with the Lord of the universe to be still. You have to understand him through his word. Because every bone in your body is going to want to run this way or run that way like a disaster movie. You're going to want to muscle up. You're going to want to gut it out. You're going to live strong. You're going to want to try to explain. Or you're going to expect something because you earned this break from God. After all you've done, you've earned it. No, you haven't earned it. There's only one option. And it's my two favorite verses in the passages in verses 4 and 5. Come to the river whose streams make glad the city of God. Come to the river. Come to the river whose streams make glad the city of God. It is there for you now in Christ. And look, a city is a people. It is a community. You can't do it alone. Online church is okay in an emergency. But you need to physically be with others in this place. This is a place of stillness because all the noise of the world is left outside. When we are together, when we're worshiping, when we're hearing the word, when we're spending time in community, and it has to be more than a Sunday, okay? It's got to be community with life groups, with Bible study. You've got to be discipling people. When you're growing in love for God and one another, that's a key part of the stillness. Zach's going to come on up now. And you know... Think of how you were saved. Just think of it. Think of your salvation, the journey you took to get there. And maybe you were little and you didn't, don't remember how it went down. But we're always being saved, okay? Paul says we are being saved, too. Every time you go to God and you confess your sin, it's a bit of salvation. Even now as you mess up and still sin, even as the earth swallows up the people around you, that's when it says in verse 5, God will help when the morning dawns. The people are being swallowed up and you're still there. Morning dawned when the sun set on Jesus on the cross. That's when morning dawned. Morning dawned when the sun set on Jesus. Jesus gives up his access to the refuge. He gave it up. He gave up his access to the refuge. He gave up his father's protection. He's taken outside of the city and he loses all of his strength. He could have called in an army of angels, but he was still. Amen. But that's the kind of stillness that gets you the refuge and strength, okay? Jesus gave it up so you could have it. He did. Our sin, okay, takes us out of the refuge. It does. It puts us out. But Jesus' stillness on the cross, accepting the penalty for our sin, is Jesus who gets us access again. You know, Korah's sons eventually made it into the courts of the Lord. And they would sing these words in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. The earth be removed. Now, Korah's son and every person who's always saved remembers the circumstances, right? You always remember the circumstances of how it went down. To be rescued like that, to be able to sing of it. Delivered from such a death. So vivid, so special. And they learned to trust and find their strength and refuge in the one who saved them. How are you saved? Do you remember? Do you ever think back on your circumstances? How are you being saved today when you confess your sin, when the ground still doesn't open up and take you? Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, you are undismayed. But it's not of our own self-sufficiency. It's only out of grace, for we all deserved to be swallowed up, and we were not, and nor will we be. 
We can be fearless, not out of self-sufficiency, not out of our own strength, but because we have God as a shelter to uphold us in his kind of strength, gospel strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for totally rewiring strength, Lord. And we pray that we'd let go of the strength of the world, Lord. We'd let go of our own effort to save ourselves, Lord. And then we'd find uh, the refuge, Lord. That we would rely on your strength. That we'd flip the field on strength. We'd wind up deep, deep in refuge. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.